Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Hi, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. Great to see everybody here with with us. Brought to all of our great affiliates in Illinois and Indiana. WKAN 105.5 The Ticket. ACTV Cities 92.9 Talk FM WJOB and Jet TV. Big show, big program here tonight. We're talking Bears, Cubs, White Sox, Bulls, a new book. We're going to get into that in just a second. Make sure you follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago on social media. Hit us up here on YouTube. We just passed uh, 18,600 subscribers. On the road to 20,000, would really appreciate your help. John Meadows is directing and producing. We have a huge guest hanging out here with us for the first couple of segments of this program. He is a 40-plus year sports media veteran right here in Chicago. Has a brand new book out. I have it here. He sent me a copy early. It's called Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Conversations with Chicago Sports Legends just came out yesterday, if I'm right, George. And uh, George Offen is our guest here on this program. George, it is great to see you, my friend. How are you? I'm great. It's a tremendous pleasure, John. I was just thinking about this the other day because it's so unique to do this with someone like yourself because our age difference is rather dramatic. <laughs> you, I, If I'm not mistaken, you're 22 and I'm eh, older. <laughs> <laughs> 23. You, you were close. So, so well, 23. I, I, okay, I gave, so you, gave you a year. The difference isn't that much then. <laughs> No, exactly. <laughs> so let's start with your book. Tell me about the book. Um, obviously, the podcast, which is still going strong. So how did you kind of form the podcast, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, into this new book format? Well, uh, you know, it was halfway through it. So we were talking about a year and a half ago. I had only done probably 50 of them. And my nephew, Sam, who now works for a different company in Texas where he lives, used to work for Triumph Books. I said, Sam, what do you think of the idea of me approaching them? He said, try it. It's not a bad idea. And honestly, it's a little bit off the beaten path to try to sell someone on a book of a podcast with 50 vignettes. But the folks at Triumph were very, very interested in it. And I really appreciate their professionalism. They said, yes. So last year in March, we got the go-ahead. Actually, it was in June of last year we got the go-ahead. Slowly but surely, I wrote a manuscript, and it was in by March of this year. And here we are, I don't know how many months, if years later, the book is out. But the folks at Triumph were great, and I love the cover of the book, front and back. There's, there, it's, it's, there's so much in there. When they presented it to me, I said, yeah, good, you got everything in there. So... That's how this all worked out. How much did you learn about the book writing process through putting this book out? Well, I mean, it's different to write um, for print than it is to write for broadcast. Broadcast is short. The book is longer. 
But I had, I think if you read enough, you can't write unless you read. And I've read enough. So I was able to do that. The editor was very good. And then when he sent it back to me, of course, I edited it some more. <laughs> but in the end, everything worked out. So it's a little different. Um, this is not, you know, plain transcription here. This is a lead in to each personality that's in the book a bit of a bio, a bit of our relationship, and then a story or two that I write around. And where the podcast may be 45, 50 minutes of a whole bunch of stories, I decided to pick and choose which ones I thought would be the most interesting of these 50. And remember, I mean, I've done almost 100 of these. And so my goal is sell enough books and we'll write part two. Very nice. So who did you... Um, like the most in part one. What was your favorite person or vignette that you put in this version? That's uh, that's not that easy to to do because they were all great. I think the person, and I think I mentioned this earlier today on uh, one of the radio stations in town. The most profound person uh, was Jason Benetti. He's really an amazing human being. Because where we have the cliche of you wear your heart on your sleeve, he wears his heart everywhere. He, you know, his discussion of, of you know, working with cerebral palsy and still to this day, as he said, people will give him a look when he's walking through an airport because he walks with a limp uh, and how he's defied that and become a premier broadcaster. It was a wonderful interview. I'm sitting there spellbound by what he is saying, but not just what he's saying, but how he is saying it. So he was a terrific interview. Peggy Kaczynski, who, you know, works here, has worked here for many, many years. And now she's on ESPN radio. She was also outstanding because she was honest, humorous, and vulnerable. And the vulnerable are the best people to interview. Same with Dan McNeil. You know, Dan is honest, honest to a point, to the point where he's gotten fired for being honest. But I appreciate that a lot about Dan. So, you know, and 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 Mike North, and, and you've had, you know, you've talked to Pappy a number of times. And, you know, he's it's got a great story in the book, basically how he was able to uh, convince Dan Lee, then the owner of the frequency of 820 and the owner of WXRT FM, that instead of doing a jazz station, do a sports station. And he gave him reasons why. And Dan Lee did it. And look at what's happened since. It'll be 32 years in January that the score has been on the air. How do you feel about that? I know you were one of the original voices mm -hmm. on that station. Well, I mean, it's just another year. I think 30 was kind of interesting to do. And, uh, you know, they had an event at a bar and we were, I was out there, but, um, it's just, it's, an, it's another mile marker for an institution in the city. Uh, it's really amazing how the transformation has gone. There are still some people there that have been there for many, many, many years. Dan Bernstein, I think, has been there for 28 years. Matt Spiegel's been there for a long, long time. But the station is just continuing to evolve uh, with some wonderful personalities. I think Mike Mulligan's been there for a long time as well. Uh, it's great. But in the early days, it was a very, very different situation. Uh, I know I remember I was hired on my birthday. So this was December 28th. 
And I believe another person was hired on that same day. His fellow, his fellow's name is Mike Greenberg. Uh, and, you know, Greeny was wonderful and wrote the foreword to the book because Greeny does say in the podcast and in the book that uh, I was the first person he worked with professionally, which was the case at WMAQ All News, which was a competitor to WBBM News Radio back in 1989. He was a Northwestern student. He was a paid intern. And the only difference between Greeny and I now are the zeros on the back of our check. He's got many more. <laughs> George Hoffman here on Sports Talk Chicago. Great to have him here. 40-plus year sports media veteran, the author of a new book. Tell me a story I don't know. Uh, get your copy today. They're all over the place. Um, Mike Greenberg, that one's interesting. He wrote the foreword as well. What was your relationship like with him, and how has it evolved now over the over the years that you've known him? Well, when I first met him, Mike was... Uh, a little bit of a pain, and I say that with reverence because he asked a ton of questions. He wanted to soak in as much as he possibly could. It didn't take long to like him and to become friends. I've said this before, I'll say it again. He danced at my wedding, I danced at his, and I haven't seen Stacy since the marriage in 1996 because then he went right off to uh, ESPN. Um, terrific. And he hasn't changed at all, which is great. He's the same person. He is he's a lovely human being and his success is no surprise to me whatsoever. So it was a real joy to, uh, to, to be part of his life and to have him do the podcast and to say those things. When I asked Mike, would you please write the forward? Two hours later, I get an email with the forward. I mean, seriously, that's... <laughs> That's it's it's a class act, and you know he's he's terrific. George, what do you think about the future of this sports media business? You've been in it so long. Uh, you wrote a book about it. You've interviewed all these big figures from Chicagoland and even from a national perspective. But what do you think about the future of this business as it stands today? Uh, well, it's certainly shaky. That's for sure. I mean, I was uh, ousted from WBBM, so this was in. July of 2020, and that was COVID, but they never replaced me. And then when Jeff Joniak left there, they never replaced him. When Dave Kerner retired, they never replaced him. So they only have a two-man staff now. But this has been going on for years and years and years. And you know, this is the reason why. This is the reason why this has happened. Um, the business is changing, and you're part of that change. This is where the industry has gone. It's gone to podcasts. It's gone to YouTube. And, and you've turned that into a great success. Uh, I never thought about doing podcasts, John. I mean, you know, two weeks after I was let go, uh, I decided to do this because I was inspired by Lawrence Holmes, who works at The Score, who back in 2018 interviewed me for his podcast, The House of L. It was early on, thought I was going to do, and I hadn't heard his podcast, thought I was going to just do an interview talking about you know, sports in Chicago that day. It turned out it was about me, about my career. And I think that's stuck in my cranium, which right now is a traffic jam on the Kennedy. And, uh, <laughs> and then suddenly when I decided to do it, I said, you know, I think I'm going to do something along those lines, a little different. Um, and then I had to learn about podcasting. And on January 26th of 2021, which happened to be the 35th anniversary of the Bears winning the Super Bowl, that's when we debuted, uh, rather debuted, with uh, Michael Wilbon, a Southsider who happens to be a Cubs fan. 
Yeah, I love that, George. And obviously, I love the program. I've listened to a number of episodes in full. They're very, uh, the, the interviews are deep. You know, they're, they're deeper, they're deeper cuts than what you're going to see on television or even on radio where you have a set time limit. Um, what does the future of the podcast itself hold? So the book's out now. What about the future of the podcast? Well, I haven't really mentioned this to many people, but it's going to end. It's going to end you know, next month. Um, wow. It's had its run. And the reason it's ending is we basically ran out of guests. When you do a podcast like this, which is basically, you know, it's narrow. We're talking about sports personalities with connections to Chicago. So even if I did everybody that I wanted on my list, I might have gotten another season out of it. So as I'm editing next week's podcast, which happens to be the person who inspired me to do this, Brent Musburger, um, you know, I, I said, what, that's that's kind of a great finish. That won't be the total finish of the podcast, but a great guest to have on. And I, you know, I'm it's melancholy, to be honest with you. Um, I've loved doing it. It has been an incredible passion. I have no idea what I was getting into, but I love what I got into and then loved writing the book about it. And so I will miss it greatly because it showed me a lot about who I am as a human being and in this business, because I've never taken that simple path. You know, when I was in college and I was doing television and I'm sending the tapes to ESPN two years before they're starting. And eventually I learned that I have a great face for radio and it wasn't going to work for television. And so, and then suddenly, you know, I'm going from sports phone, which started in late 1977 to being a freelance in radio when radio across the country was exploding. And I did that for 13 years. I mean, I was my own boss in my 20s and 30s while I was out chasing pretty girls. And I had a great deal of fun doing that. And so I took kind of my own path through all of this. And then suddenly here's a new path. The new path is podcasting. Then there's another path, being an author. And I don't know what their next path is going to be, but I have a feeling I'll find one. Are there any preferences or any ideas for your future? I mean, I know, I know we talked about the age difference. I think you still got a lot left in the tank yourself. Oh, yeah. do, you, do you have any thoughts or any ideas about where you could go moving forward? I have thoughts, but sometimes I have to trash them. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I back in back when I was let go by WBBM, people said, are you retired? I said, no, 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 I'm not retired. I'm not done yet. <laughs> and I'm still not done yet. I will see where this takes me. There's no question. There's there's definitely still stuff left in the tank. I'm going to be 70 at the end of the year. Who cares? I mean, most people say I look 69 and a half anyhow. So I'm, I'm just going to continue going, then see what see what's out there. But I mean, honestly, I've absolutely I've had a blast. I've done this now for 50 years. You don't think about that, John, and you shouldn't be thinking about that now. But I guarantee you tomorrow you'll be in this business for 50 years because it goes fast. It goes really fast. And yet when you when you get to that point and you say, hey, no, it's time to retire. No, 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 it's not time to retire. It's time to find another path. Got George Hoffman here with us on Sports Talk Chicago. More to come with George. His thoughts on the Bears. Don't want to miss that. Coming up in the next segment, you're listening to Sports Talk Chicago. 
Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Sports Talk Chicago, second segment here of the program. Great to be with all of you across all of our great radio and TV affiliates. WKAN 105.5, the ticket, ACTV. Cities 92.9 FM, WJOB and Gen TV. George Offen, still our guest. Been in the business 40-plus years. Has a new book, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, recently out. Uh, we talked about a lot of that in the first segment. We're going to get to a little bit of a plug of that later. But, George, you've obviously been a big fan of uh, this program. You've still been putting out your thoughts about a lot of stuff going on in Chicago sports on your Twitter account. So I do want to start. I want to really talk about the Bears with you. Um, what do you make of what you've seen from them this season? It's not been very good. (laughs) Listen, they have a long way to go. And the key to all of it, of course, is Justin Fields. I'm not 100% sure they've made up their mind yet. But he is going to be playing against the Lions and admitted today that he's still not 100%. He's going up against a very, very good football team. But he's going to have to be really good because if he's not... It is going to accelerate management's determination on what it's going to do next. Clearly, they've got probably, the way things are going, the first pick in the draft with with Carolina's pick. And then, you know, who knows where they're going to finish. I'm looking at their schedule now, and I can see the possibility where they lose every game. Uh, The weak players on the schedule, (laughs) the weak players on the schedule, the Bears are weak. What the Cardinals, the Packers, and the Falcons. You don't think all those teams think they can't beat the Bears? They're not going to beat the Lions twice. They're not going to win in the Dome in Minnesota. They're not going to beat the, the, the Browns. So, I mean, they could go 5-12, and 12, you know, 4-13, and 13, maybe get the fifth, fourth pick in the draft. And clearly, they're going to have to look at another quarterback. And that's bad because... That's the hamster in the cage going round and round and round. And when they got Trubisky and we knew he was going to fail, I said that could take a decade. Well, it just might. You know, you hate to do that unless you get lucky and you get a guy who's, you know, taking the Houston Texans to places they didn't think they could go. But those are few and far between. So the best case scenario, John, is that Fields is the type of quarterback he was for those two those consecutive games where he threw eight touchdown passes. I don't know if that's going to be the case. We're going to find out Sunday where he's at and where the bears are at, but it's still a work in progress. Uh, My guess is when everything is said and done, that Matt Eberflus will not be the coach here next year. Ryan Poles will still be the general manager. What they do remains to be seen. Well, wait, George, if they go 5-13, and 13, that's a two-game improvement. You're going to tell me that that's not enough justification for Matt Eberflus to stay? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, man, talk about a train wreck, at least at the head coaching spot. I know you mentioned Ryan Poles. Yeah, he's probably going to stay. He's probably going to stick around. What do you think about Justin Fields' future in Chicago? Do you really think he's the guy for this team? Uh, I highly doubt it. I, I I highly doubt it. It still remains to be seen. Uh, basically, we haven't seen that with the exception of those two games. If on Sunday he performs at a, and he's going to have to perform at a high level, and again, he's coming off a thumb injury, and he hasn't played in nearly five weeks, that they are probably looking carefully at some of those college quarterbacks 
which, by the way, is a crapshoot. And I believe the Bears have proven that, along with a number of other teams who have taken players that just didn't pan out in the first round that were quarterbacks. And so they could pick any one of four or five quarterbacks in next year's draft, and they could hit or miss. And that's the gamble. Seems like they've been missing more than hitting the past, what, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe all time as a franchise. What do you think uh, about uh, Ryan Poles and his future? You said that you think he's going to stay. How do we judge him then moving forward if he sticks around and this team goes 5-12 and 12 and, and has another bad season? No, I don't think they're going to get rid of him. I don't think you want to get rid of a, a, um, a general manager that quick. He's made some good moves. He's made some bad moves. Um, the Claypool move was a disaster. I like the move he made with Sweat. I do even though he is not one of the top pass rushers in the game. Um, in the first two games, he's, he hasn't had a sack, but I think that that's partly because of the rest of the players he is working around, and they haven't had a lot of health on this team. However, I will give Eberflus credit that the Bears defense has played better in recent weeks and their offensive line has actually been pretty good, meaning, but, but I want to I backtrack here because last year, everybody looked at the Bears offensive line with Fields and said the Bears offensive line was terrible. Do you realize it ranked 15th in the league? The reason that Fields was sacked as much as he was was because of Fields. That's the problem. So if he gets sacked a lot on Sunday, it may not be so much his protection, but it may be him holding the ball too long. We're going to see. We'll see whether or not there's been some progression in that. And it is worth noting, George, you bring up a great point that in the games in which Tyson Bajan has started, he's been sacked less than five times uh, the entirety of this season. Now, I'm not saying that Bajan's better or things of that nature, but in terms of getting rid of the football and avoiding sacks, it's pretty undeniable that he is better. What did you think of his short stint starting for the Bears? Well, I mean, I think he, Tyson Bajan proved that he's a good backup. That's, that's what he is. And he's going to be, he's going to be that kind of yeoman guy in the NFL for years to come. Uh, he's got foibles, but he's also young. I mean, you know, all of this stuff has happened in what, three or four games. In the case of Fields, it's happened over three full years I think Bajan will improve, but he's not going to be the Bears' future. That's for sure. Could he be their backup next year? Possibly. Could he be somebody else's backup? Possibly. Uh, I'm sure that the Bears would love to keep him, even if they bring in another quarterback. So, I mean, impressive in certain ways, but also this is the NFL. It's not Division II football. <laughs> George Hoffman here on the program on Sports Talk Chicago. John Sglua here with you. John Meadows directing and producing. We're on six different stations on television and radio, joining all of you here today. George, want to talk Cubs now. Big move by Jed Hoyer. They hire Craig Council away from Milwaukee. He's going to be the manager. They fire David Ross. A lot of things going on. What was your reaction when you heard about it? Well, I was pretty stunned, to be honest with you. I, I None of us knew. Nobody knew. Everybody thought he was going to go to the Mets or perhaps another team. So it's a bold move. And if you think about the Cubs in their history, it's not like it's the first time that happened. 
Do you remember a guy named Dusty Baker? How about Lou Pinella, followed by Joe Madden, and now Craig Council? And by the way, he's not being overpaid. He's being paid for what somebody wants to pay him. And the Cubs decided they're going to pay him $8 million a year. Is he going to be the difference? We'll see. The Cubs have some major work to do here. Uh, there's nothing that says that Bellinger is going to come back. I think they have some interest in Candelario. But they have to replace, basically, a first baseman slash third baseman slash center fielder. Uh, they also have to upgrade their pitching. And I'm glad that Marcus Stroman decided not to pick up his option. I was never a fan of his. You know, baseball supposedly has decided, or a lot of experts, wins don't matter. It does to me when it comes to a person like Marcus Stroman, who in eight, I believe, full seasons in the majors has never won more than 13 games. And before this season, he was under 500 when he started games. And so here he was, he was great. And then suddenly he has an injury and of course he doesn't win 13 games. So they have some work to do. I, I know that they are thinking big and I'm sure that they're thinking big in terms of Bellinger and Shoei Otani, who is not ticketed to anywhere as of yet. Uh, they made a huge presentation to him in 2017. He was very impressed and it's gonna cost a lot of money because he can't pitch now for another year. Of course, he could hit 60 homers for the Cubs at Wrigley Field. <laughs> but you know, that price tag could be anywhere above $500 million. I, I think the Cubs are willing to make that move and spend that kind of money because they wouldn't have spent the kind of money to bring Craig Council in here. They've got to improve this team. Um, and they've got the basis of a pretty good team. Now, a lot of people are talking in terms of next year with the possibility of trading for the Mets first baseman or trading for Juan Soto. But remember... They share the same agent as Bellinger does, and that's the notorious Scott Boros. I don't think he has ever signed a player in his walk year. So everybody's thinking, oh, if the, if the Cubs trade for him, you know, they can negotiate a kind of, no, 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 that's not going to happen. If you do that, <laughs> if you do that, you're trading certain commodities to rent the player for one year like you did Bellinger and a hope that you can get to the World Series because – and, and to be honest with you, I don't think the Mets are going to trade their first baseman. I don't think the Padres are going to trade their outfielder, whom, by the way, doesn't play center field. He plays left field and some right field. And the last I looked, the Cubs have a gold glove left fielder and a pretty good right fielder. So there's a lot of work to be done. Maybe Reese Hopkins is an option at first base, certainly a possibility for at least a pillow contract. But I think they're going to be looking at going for it next year. Do you think they're ready for that? I mean, I would love to see them win 97 games, get to the World Series. But as this roster looks now, I don't think that's the case. You're assuming if they go out and spend some more money, bring in some key pieces, that they could be a legitimate World Series contender in 2024. Well, when you take a look at it, if you're going to make a trade for a player who's in his walk year of his contract, the answer is yes. If Bellinger decides to come back on a long-term contract, and I believe that he is going to get anywhere from eight to 10 years at up to 300 million, because that's the way Boris works. And so if he does and he comes back here, well, then you've got not only a center fielder, but a guy who can switch off and play first, but you have a kid out there in center field whom the Cubs are very high on. 
And I know he didn't hit when he came up. Okay. Neither did Ryan Sandberg. And the last I remembered, Robin Ventura was 0 for his first 42 with the White Sox. How did that work out, by the way? So patience, Cubs fans, just patience. What about the White Sox, George? Um, obviously, so much tumult and turnover in their front office. I actually liked their coaching staff hires. Um, I know Chris Getz came out and said publicly, I don't like our team. That was his quote. What do you think about their offseason to come and their future moving forward? It's not good. Um, and on top of that, they lose Jason Benetti because the White Sox wanted him to do more home games or more games, period, for them. And he said, no, I have another career. And Detroit <laughs> is willing to, to honor that. And so he left. Um, they're rock bottom right now. I mean, they are truly rock bottom. Jerry Reinsdorf has taken them rock bottom from his decision to bring Tony Larusa back to finally firing Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. I like both guys, but that should have happened years ago. And so the bottom line now is they have they have Yohan Moncada, who's in the final year of his contract, is going to make $24 million. They have Eloy Jimenez, who I suggested they trade two years ago. He's injury prone. If he's healthy as a DH, he could probably help somebody. That's the problem with him. He is always hurt. They have no pitching. Who's pitching? They have two starters. They have Dylan Cease with an off year and Michael Kopech, who I suggested they traded two years ago because I don't think he has the head to pitch. So they have a lot of work to do. And they've got a manager who I don't think quite understands what he has, which is not much. The White Sox will not be a contender next year and probably not a contender for years to come. You mentioned Jason Benetti leaving, and I think a lot of Sox fans would concur, saying this is now rock bottom with, with him heading out. When you heard about that news, obviously it, it was shocking. Um, I don't know if you've spoken to him since it occurred or at least shot him a message, but what did you think when you heard about it? Not surprised. No, I just wished him well. Um, you know, like I said, he was just a wonderful guest on the podcast. But this is the way the White Sox do business. When Jerry Reinsdorf does a press conference, which he hasn't done in years, and said, no, Shohei Otani, we're not going after him and laughed about it. Well, guess what? If for some reason Shohei Otani said, I'm interested in the White Sox, you wouldn't pay him? He'll pay for himself. He'll bring your franchise back to life. And that's the problem with the White Sox, is the matter of how much they pay their players. When... Uh, ben Attendee is the highest played player in White Sox history. you got a problem. That is so well put. Yes, Andrew Ben Attendee, who, and I like that signing, but I'll tell you what, you, you made a great point, and that was a four-year, $75 million contract, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he is the highest paid player in White Sox history, and I know that Jerry Reinsdorf has come out and talk about the payroll, 180 plus million. We, we have the highest payroll in team history. But the fact is, then, who they're paying is not working because the players that they're paying are not performing. And now they're in a situation where, like you said aptly, they've hit rock bottom. Yeah, they had uh, collectively a lot of bad years. And he has a philosophy 
philosophy that I'm not totally against, and that is paying pitchers long-term contracts. Um, but he never paid a long-term contract to a guy he should have, and that's Mark Burley, you know, <laughs> guy who never broke down and really a Hall of Fame pitcher for the White Sox. Um, mm-hmm. But Dylan Cease, two years left of Dylan Cease. See you later, because if he's good, they won't pay him. They just won't do that. And so I know a lot of fans always say the same things, John. You know, sell the team, sell the team. You hear that with the Bears, sell the team. Well, first of all, that ain't happening with the Bears. <laughs> but somewhere along the, the line, the White Sox will do that because Jerry Reinsdorf is 87 years old. You just hope he doesn't sell to somebody who moves the franchise out of town. The White Sox are still the Chicago White Sox and should be. And, you know, if they're looking to to get another stadium or to repair the stadium they have, which they barely paid a penny of rent on because Reinsdorf's <laughs> a pretty good businessman. If you want this franchise to win, you have to rebuild it and you have to learn how to spend money. George, um, certainly appreciate all of your time here today, um, talking about your book, talking about all the things going on in Chicago sports. Last question before we finish up, where could people find this book? Where could they buy it? How can they help support? Well, first of all, you can get it at your local bookstores. I will actually be doing a uh, bookstore, Barbara's Bookstore in the Yorktown Mall in Lombard on Friday, but also online, Amazon. Well, certainly you get the book on Amazon. Uh, it's a wonderful gift. The price tag is cheap like Mad Magazine. It's only $22. And so it's, and it's, it's a fun read. It's a wonderful read with 50 wonderful human beings telling stories uh, about themselves. It's bringing them to life, which is exactly what the podcast was. And I thank you greatly, John, for all of the support that you've given me over the last number of years with this. There's always that, that's always that that Twitter like and the the Facebook stuff and vice versa. And I, and I sincerely appreciate it. And you are the future of our industry. Where that goes, I don't know, but I know you'll be with it. Well, George, I appreciate those kind words. Um, One more thing, and I want to make sure we get this in. Do you know what time it's going to be at on Friday in Lombard? So some of our listeners maybe want to. Yeah, I'll be there from 630 to 830. Okay. uh, Signing books and looking for all the donations you can give me. No, I'm just kidding. Just signing books. (laughs) Well, George, thank you so much for joining us. And everybody listening and watching, uh, 6.30 to 8.30 Friday evening at the Yorktown Center out in Lombard. You can meet George, get a signed book, and hang out with him. Uh, George, again, thank you so much. And as you mentioned, too, and I want to make sure I say it, you know, the consistent support from you when it comes on social media all the time, retweeting my stuff, you know, we like stuff back and forth. We're always texting, you know, staying in touch. Um, it is certainly appreciated. And for somebody like me who's young in this business, it's always great to hear from somebody like you, to learn from someone like you who's been at this a long time and has had really a storied career. So I just want to say thank you. Certainly appreciate it. And also happy to make sure that we get this out there to our listeners. The great book coming out here from George Hoffman. Great. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. We'll be right back here on Sports Talk Chicago. Stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago, here with John Zaglou. Great to have all of you back here with us. Last segment here of the program, so great to have George on. Uh, so remember, for George Offen, hit him up, uh, Lombard, Friday evening. You could also buy the book, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Um, 
anytime you would like. So uh, it's a great book. We'll put the link in the description of each video, and we're certainly grateful uh, that he joined us here on today's program. If you missed any of our interview, if you missed any of our discussion on the Bears, Cubs, White Sox, make sure you check that out here um, on the podcast, sportstalkchicago.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all over the place in terms of your podcast providers. Uh, it was a really fun interview, really enjoyed the time, and uh, looking forward to catching up with George again very soon as well. So, last segment here of the program, there's been so much Bears news to discuss since the last time we did our live stream and the last show that, that we put out on all of our great radio affiliates and TV affiliates that we have to get to. So I think, I don't want to bury the lead here, Justin Fields is going to be back. Justin Fields is returning to action this Sunday. Going to be back playing against the Detroit Lions, as George mentioned, as I read here today. He may not be 100%. That's what he said. And Matt Eberplus said during a press conference today that these last seven games are going to be key for Justin Fields to determine his future here in Chicago. So after all the tumults, all of the issues, all of the highs and lows of Justin Fields' career, it's going to come down to seven last games to see whether or not the Bears should keep him or lose him. I wish Justin Fields nothing but the best in these next seven games. And, you know, it's going to be key to see how he plays, especially against these contending teams. I don't really care if he lights it up against Arizona. I don't care if he lights it up against Green Bay, necessarily. I am more concerned and worried about how does he do against legitimate NFL football teams. And here's why I bring that up. And I want to take you back to a dark time, quote-unquote, in Bears history, 2020. If you all recall, the Bears were not looking good. Nick Foles came in to replace Mitch Trubisky. Then Foles got benched. They rode with Trubisky the rest of the way. Mitch did great. Led the Bears to a 500 record. Led them to a playoff appearance. Ended up losing. Here's the point. Mitch Trubisky in those last, what, six, seven games faced a lot of bad teams. And the Bears at the end of the season said, we don't care that you helped replace and help our season. We don't care that you got us to the playoffs after being benched and us screwing you. You're gone. That's what they said. You're gone. We're done. And the Bears ended up starting the new process of getting a new quarterback. And a couple of months later, drafted Justin Fields. Nick Bolson was gone too. Point being, the Bears did not buy Justin Fields' success, or Mitch Trubisky's success against bad teams. So when Justin Fields balls out against Atlanta, uh, Green Bay, Arizona, what are the Bears going to do this time? And how will they respond to this situation? I hope they stay with the course and stay with their policy. Because I'll tell you what, if Justin Fields struggles this weekend against Detroit, if he struggles against other teams like the Packers, like potentially even the Falcons or the Cardinals maybe, I doubt that's going to happen, but let's say that does. We need to have a serious conversation about his future in Chicago. And there shouldn't be a debate. There shouldn't be a, well, maybe. No. If he cannot perform in these next seven games, he's gone, period. Tyson Bajan went up against the NFL's top 10 defense in the Saints, and he had four turnovers. But you know what? They were in the game, and at the end of the day, everybody criticized him as they should have for his mistakes. Would Justin Fields have done better? Probably not. And that's the key. Tyson Bajan faced, believe it or not, tough competition. The Panthers were an exception. 
but he faced decent teams, and he went 2-2. Two and two. And now Fields is going to be back for the rest of the seven games. Now, there's a lot riding on this, and I've already said it, and even if this season ends and Fields stays and the Bears retain him, I'll say it again. He was indicted by Tyson Bajan's success. That doesn't mean Tyson Bajan is better. That doesn't mean Tyson Bajan is, lo- is the long-term answer. That's not what I'm saying, but what I am saying is this. He was indicted, meaning Tyson Bajan showed that he's a competent, capable NFL quarterback in this system. He's had more success in this system in four games than Justin Fields has had his entire career. Something needs to be said about that. While everybody else doesn't want to talk about it or calls people like me crazy for even bringing up just straight facts and numbers, the situation exists, and it deserves to be said, for Bajan's sake. And this isn't a Team Bajan or Team Fields argument even. It's just the facts. The fact is... As even George said during our interview, Tyson Bajan is a competent NFL quarterback who should be a backup in this league for a long, long time. Because as a backup, he went 2-2. Like it or not, he was 500, led the Bears to probably two out of their five total wins this season. (laughs) What about Justin Fields? How will we look at his season after what we saw from Bajan? So there's a lot riding on this. And the fact that they're already setting up the narrative by saying, well, he's still not 100%, but we're going to play him. I don't want to hear at the end of the year, well, he was never 100%. We kind of pushed him in. He did bad, but we're going to keep him because he wasn't 100%. We have seen enough to make a judgment on Justin Fields. And right now, if the season ended today, he'd be gone. And that's nothing personal. I don't hate him. It's the fact that he's 6-25 and as a starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. He's probably, I would guess, one of the worst quarterbacks in Bears history based on record. Based on record. One of the worst quarterbacks in Bears history, along with the head coach, who's definitely out of here come to the end of this season, too. We have to keep all this in mind. Could Fields succeed elsewhere? Maybe. And maybe he'll get that opportunity. Maybe somebody will pick him up on like a one-year, $8 million deal, similar to what the Steelers did with Mitch, and he'll work something out elsewhere, and I wish him all the best. But it's not working here. And I would much rather the Bears either draft a quarterback and let's say there's nobody out there, even sign a veteran to a one- or two-year deal. Look at what Josh Dobbs is doing in Minnesota. I mean, seriously. Josh Dobbs was cut by the Cardinals. Minnesota picks him up. Kirk Cousins got hurt. And now all of a sudden they're winning. And their playoff hopes, which were supposed to be dashed, are alive with Josh Dobbs. Why can't the Bears sign a veteran QB to a one- or two-year deal and and have it work? The Vikings are actually masters of it. Case Keenum, Kirk Cousins, Josh Dobbs. They bring in a veteran, they pay him okay money, and they perform. I'd be okay with that. I would have no protest if the Bears said next year, we don't see any quarterbacks who are good. We're going to draft a wideout and an offensive lineman and bring in a two-year veteran QB even. But I'll tell you this. We've seen enough out of Justin Fields to make a determination. Even last year for Fields, just saying, so you all understand, he only threw for like 2,300 passing yards. I know he rushed for 1,100, but even in one of his quote-unquote best years, his defining season, 2,300 passing yards is not going to make it happen. Moreover, 
Justin's ability, or I should say inability, to avoid pressure, to avoid running into his offensive line, to avoid running into easy sacks, is hurting his opportunities. Bajan got sacked less than five times in four games. Fields is getting sacked at one of the highest rates in football again. Why is that happening? And last year, I'll admit it, I defended Fields because the offensive line was bad. I know they were ranked 15th by PFF, but PFF doesn't always get things right. I know they were ranked high. I know that they were supposed to be good, but I'll tell you what, Fields wasn't all to blame for what happened last year, but this year, different story. How is it possible for some backup D2 quote-unquote scrub to get sacked less than five times in four games? But the starter, the big-time QB, whom the Bears traded up for, came from the Ohio State University, is getting sacked at another NFL high rate. Somebody tell me how that's possible. Somebody tell me how any of that makes sense. You can't. You can't. So, I implore all of you, as the last seven games come out, so we're going to have them all live here on Sports Talk Chicago, ask all of you to scrutinize everything you see. Sincerely. Scrutinize everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. Small things, big things. Because I'll tell you what, at the end of this year, all of that's going to have to come forward when the Bears and us decide what to do with Justin Fields. Right now, the verdict is guilty. Goodbye. (laughs) His punishment or his sentence is, you're off this team moving forward. He has not shown enough. He has not proven enough. He has not done enough to say, yes, I am the franchise QB. Yes, I deserve a $100 million contract. Yes, I should be here for 10 years. No way. And anybody who tells you that is being a fanboy, not objective. Because objectivity matters here. Objectivity matters. Okay? We got people all over the Chicago media landscape who are fanboys for Justin Fields. And I'm okay with being a fan of certain players, but guess what? Objectivity should never decrease or go under being a fanboy. Objectivity should rule and reign all the time. And if it doesn't, then you can't call yourself an analyst. You got to call yourself a fanalist. The facts are the facts. Tyson Bajan went two and two. He barely got sacked. This team played okay under him. Justin Fields comes back. Sack rate goes way up. Turnovers stay the same. Still no growth or improvement in year three. This team continues to lose. Something has to be done. If your backup from a D2 school who went undrafted is playing toe-to-toe with you and you're a first-round pick in your third year, something's off, i.e., you need a new quarterback if you're the Bears. They do need a new QB. We said this from game one, and I had so much hype and and, uh, admonition, so so, so many good things I had going for Justin Fields during this offseason. We heard great reports. We saw great practices. We saw promising preseason games. I was ready to give him an opportunity to improve. Because last year he proved he was competent, somewhat. And this year it's been a full step back. People could argue and say that his passer rating's high, whatever it might be. The fact is they continue to lose with him. His numbers are down. Objectively, they are. And the backup QB did better than him in four games. 
four games. Not to mention the fact that this year alone, there have been two pick sixes in the fourth quarter from fields. We're talking about game-winning opportunities, game-winning drives, two pick sixes in the fourth quarter. When's the last time, if ever, that Justin Fields led a game-winning drive? I would even make an exception if he was a winner in the fourth quarter. I would say, you know what? Maybe they should keep him because at least he's clutch and they win under him. They don't even win under him. And in the fourth quarter, when the crunch time's super high, we see interception turn into a touchdown. We see seven points given to the other team, and the Bears need seven points at times. You're not going to convince me that that means Justin Fields gets to stay. No, we got an issue here, and it's not going to be perfect. And Justin Fields is going to have to go, whether people like it or not. People don't want to hear it. Fanboys dominate the industry and are going to continue to shove the Justin Fields narrative down your throat. But the fact is, when we look at numbers, when we look at performance, when we look at this team, which is in shambles, I get it. He has not been part of the solution. He's just added to the problem. And maybe a fresh start for him is going to help everything. But Realistically speaking, this is just not going to work. And for everybody who doesn't see it yet, these next seven games are really going to show it. One more thing, too. I wonder if Justin Fields deserves $200 million in a seven-year extension. What do you guys think? That's right. No answer, no response, because it's pretty obvious that I I wouldn't pay Justin Fields $10 million for a one-year deal. Doesn't deserve it does not deserve it. Got a little bit of time left, and I want to get into a Bears-Lions game preview before we finish up here today on the program. Bears and Lions are going to be facing off this weekend on Sunday. I want to make sure that everybody knows that we're going to be live for it on Sports Talk Chicago's YouTube page. So we're going to broadcast the game and give our commentary and thoughts. This is going to be a true test. I'll tell you what, if Justin Fields wins, I might have to shut my mouth, right? If Justin Fields pulls this one out and the Bears somehow rally around him and beat the Lions, who are a quality football team, talk about a surprise. Talk about a shock. And I could see it going that way if Fields plays his absolute best, but the Lions are 7-2. Jared Goff is on fire again at quarterback. How about a great season? And based on how quarterbacks have done against the Bears this year, I expect another big performance out of him. David Montgomery, back off IR, back in the in the, uh, in, in the 4A. 106 attempts, 501 yards, 4.7 yards per carry, and Jameer Gibbs also splitting carries. They're on pace, both of them, to have 1,000-yard seasons right now, even after Montgomery's injury. And, of course, downfield, watch out for Amon Ross St. Brown and Josh Reynolds and Sam Laporte of the tight end. David Montgomery, by the way, leads the Lions in rush broken tackles in 2023 with 12. wonder why the Bears got rid of him. David Montgomery is going to have a big game because the Bears at times have problems controlling the run. Jared Goff is going to have a huge game because the Bears cannot control the pass if their life depended on it. This is going to be a crapshoot for the Bears. I am not expecting a win. I'm expecting a double-digit loss. I think it's going to be 30 to 17 Bears lose. 30 to 17 Bears lose on Sunday. I'm not expecting much out of him. 
not expecting much out of this team. If they win and they pull it out, like I said, I am going to be stunned, and I will give them the benefit of the doubt, and I will give them uh, praise. Hopefully it's Justin Fields' uh, fault in a good way that they win. He's the reason why, but I'll tell you what, I'm not buying it. The Lions are hungry and ready to win. They're 7-2. and two. This is their first opportunity to really be a Super Bowl contender, I'll say it. They're 7-2. and two. They are great. they got to get past the Eagles somehow in the NFL or in the NFC, but other than that, they're going to be fine. They're a really good team. They have good players, quality players, especially on offense, QB, running back, wide receiver, all that stuff's covered for them. They have two running backs who are amazing, one of which was a former Bear whom the Lions picked up for two years at $10 million. So I am banking on the opportunity for the Bears to lose this one, for the Lions to win, and for things to move forward. We're going to have to see how this all plays out, of course, but I'm not buying this one. Montgomery is on a revenge tour. Montgomery is going to be making something happen. And even though he's been hurt when he's been in, he's been a monster for the Lions, as he should be, and as he's always been, as he's always been. And the Bears let him go. Ryan Poles said, no, you know what? You're out of here. Now, Deontay Foreman's been good. Roshan Johnson's had his ups and downs, and Khalil Herbert's been oddly hurt most of the season. You're going to tell me it wasn't worth keeping Montgomery for $5 million per year, not even fully guaranteed. Come on. This team just continues to frustrate, continues to make me shake my head, continues to make me wonder why. Got to find the whys, right? That's a Matt Nagy quote. But I'll tell you what, this team has no whys left to give. They have no answers to any questions. And they're going to lose this game 30-17, to 17, and I'm being generous in them scoring 17 points because the Lions' defense, believe it or not, is good too. It's better. It's better. Last year, they were last. This year, they're 21st. Okay, that's going to be a that's a big difference for them. Big difference. And that's why they are 7-2 because their defense improved a little bit. They're not elite, but they're better. But their offense is still elite. You have an elite offense, an okay defense. Now they're 7-2 instead of 8-9 or 9-8 at the end of last year. This is not going to be a win at all for the for the, for the Bears. I was going to come in and, and take this one over and completely kill it. And the Bears are going to be left wondering what happened again. And it's not going to be a good look if they lose, especially, and part of it's Justin Fields' fault, especially after his injury coming back. But don't worry, they're going to blame the thumb injury on it. right? They're going to blame the thumb injury and say, oh, there's a problem here. That's why things didn't go well. Or, oh, the O-line did bad. The O-line did it to Justin Fields. That's why they lost, even though Fields ran into 20 sacks himself. Come on. Oh, my goodness. Their backup quarterback got sacked less than five times in four games. Justin Fields is getting sacked at an all-time high rate. We're going to have the whole game for you on Sports Talk Chicago, so make sure you tune into that. I appreciate everybody for tuning in here to today's program. Thank you to all of our great affiliates. WKAN 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, Cities 92.9, Jet TV, and WJOB. Thank you to John Meadows, directing and producing. Thank you to our guest, George Hoffman. Hey, Fire's Book. Fire's Book, tell me a story I don't know. Find it all over the place. And make sure you follow him as well, George Hoffman, on Twitter. You'll see it all. 
We're going to be back with you next week. We're going to make sure to have a show next week, despite the holidays. So don't miss that as well. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us. Social media, Sports Talk Chicago. Hit the like button. uh, Thank you for tuning in. We're going to see you again very soon. So long, everyone.